There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close... You can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give them the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. Welcome to This Country Life. I'm your host, Brent Reeves. From coon hunting to trot lining and just general country living, I want you to stay a while as I share my stories and country skills that'll help you beat the system. This Country Life is proudly presented as part of Meat Eaters Podcast Network, bringing you the best outdoor podcast the airways have to offer. All right, friends, pull you up a chair or drop that tailgate. I think I got a thing or two to teach you. Snakes. I can think of few words that will get your attention quicker than someone saying snake. Say it loudly and you'll get everyone's attention. Research says that we have an ingrained fear of them that has become natural over time. And I don't know if I agree 100% with that, but I will bet that there's more folks that fear them than those of us that don't. And if you're in the woods a lot like I am, you're going to see them and you ought to be informed about what you're looking at. More importantly, you need to be prepared and have a plan in the back of your mind for the ones you run up on that you don't see. We're talking about snakes this week, but first, I'm going to tell you a story. I 
I was in high school and probably about 16 years old, and I had taken my mama's car to town to knock around with my friends on a Sunday afternoon, and on the way home, I saw a pretty good rattlesnake crossing the road, and I decided to catch him and take him home to show my mama. Now, I don't know why I did that, but in the heat of the moment, she was the only one I knew that I could show the snake to. Everybody else was gone. So I stopped her car, and I caught him. It wasn't my first time catching a venomous snake, not even close. There wasn't any kind of snake that was off limits to my rounding up skills growing up. I'd catch them all. And I never had an issue except Cotton Mouse had a bad musky odor that would stink up the world and they did everything they could do to try to bite you. But rattlesnakes and copperheads, they were easy pickings. I got out of the car. I caught him in pretty short order. Then I got back in the car with a four-foot rattlesnake. I got to thinking that if he got loose in there, it's going to be a chore to get him out and my mama would kill me. So, driving down the road, I swapped hands from right to left, dragging that snake across my lap, and I hung him out the window for the mile ride to the house. I pulled up and went and knocked on the door, and I hollered for Mama to come see what I'd got. She opened the door, and I was holding that snake with both hands, one on his head and the other on his tail so she couldn't see him wiggling. And when she said, Oh, Lord, where did you kill that thing? I dropped him on the carport, and he balled up and went to buzzing like somebody had kicked over a beehive. I said, he ain't dead. She squealed and came unglued and started swinging a broom at me. I kept the snake in between me and her in case she charged, but she was on the steps going into the house. It wasn't about to come down to the level where me and the snake were. She made it clear that I was to terminate that snake with extreme prejudice, and that if she ever caught me messing with poisonous snakes again that she'd save the snake the trouble and kill me herself. Three years later, and an untold number of snakes caught and released, most that she didn't know about, Wayne Parnell and I were driving home from my brother Tim's house when we saw the largest copperhead in the history of mankind crossing the road in front of us. We're setting the stage for buffoonery. Y'all pay attention. Sliding to a stop, I got out of the truck to catch him. I didn't even have to tell Wayne to stop. He knew what was fixing to happen. And Wayne was a good coach and a cheerleader as he stood safely behind his truck, urging me on in the capture of that serpent, not unlike Marlon Perkins to Jim on Wild Kingdom. The snake coiled into his defensive position, and I was moving in to catch him. I remember exactly what I was wearing. Anybody want to take a guess? Bingo. Overalls and red high-top Converse tennis shoes. You probably didn't guess that, but that's what I was wearing. Anyway, I eased my foot up to a spot right behind that joker's head and slightly applied pressure. I could feel his body pinned to the gravel road, and I reached down to grab him behind his head, and the most amazing thing happened. As it turned out, I was standing on a small rock and not the snake. The snake opened up his mouth, wrapped his little lips around my favorite thumb on my left hand, and stuck one of his fangs into the knuckle joint of the previously mentioned thumb and pumped what must have been six and a half gallons of venom into my now astonished yet recently more educated person. I pulled my hand back and jumped away from that snake in disbelief, and I said, Wayne, he bit me. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Look, it's bleeding. You're going to die. No, I'm not, but that snake is. Forget the snake. We got to get to the doctor. Get in the truck. You're going to die. There's nothing like encouragement in the face of adversity. 
Wayne is driving like a wild man, and my thumb is starting to swell. I could see it swelling, but I was calm during the whole ordeal. I was holding my left thumb with my right hand and squeezing it as hard as I could to help stop the flow of venom. I wasn't afraid of snakes, and my doctor told me that not getting upset was probably more beneficial to me as anything. The ride to town didn't take very long, but I had to take off my watch after a few minutes because of the swelling. Wayne and I had pulled up to a red light. Sitting in the lane beside us was a deputy sheriff that both of us knew. I rolled down my window, and I asked him to contact the hospital and tell them that we were on the way and what had happened. He got on the radio and told us to follow him, and he gave us a police escort all the way across town. They were waiting for me when we arrived at the emergency room a few minutes later. The snake had bit me probably 15 minutes ago, and my hand was now almost twice the normal size. They stuck my hand down in a big garbage bag of ice and asked how I had gotten bit. And that's when I realized somebody was going to write this down, and my mama was going to read it. I may have been dang near grown, but if she decided to give me a whooping for playing with venomous snakes, I was just going to have to take it. I didn't want a whooping. They hurt. A plan starts to materialize in my criminally clever mind. A story so unbelievable that they would have no choice to believe it. At that time, I was a bona fide member of the Skoll Brothers Union, and I chewed tobacco. A habit associated with having to spit tobacco juice into some type of receptacle, and I referred to those as a spit cup. And this is common knowledge where I come from, so I swing my plan into action. Dr. Chambers, Wayne and I were going down the road, and I needed a spit cup. He pulled over on the side of the road, and I got out. I reached down for the cup lying there, and the snake bit me. I never saw him until he bit me. The ER had been one of chaos with folks calling out procedures and this and that, and it was like a scene out of a movie. Everyone dodging and dashing around in medically orchestration. And as soon as I said that, a hush fell over the crowd. Everyone stopped and looked at me like I just walked into a saloon where my wanted poster was hanging. Dr. David Chambers was my doctor and just happened to be there making rounds when the call came in from the deputy sheriff. I'm from a small town, like y'all know. He knew me well. He knew my mama. He stopped what he was doing, and he looked at me and said, You're kidding me. I said, No, sir. That's what happened. Now, I'm sure you're probably saying to yourself, Why is this idiot lying about how he got bit? This excuse is worse than the truth. Well, you don't know my mama. The incident involving the rattlesnake was the last time she chewed me out for playing with snakes. There had been countless others. I don't think anyone was buying the spit cup excuse, but it didn't matter. I just needed my mama to buy it. Now, she had to be told, and since I was busy getting tended to, I told Wayne to do it. Wayne didn't want to do it. He had been a good friend for the majority of my life and still is. Growing up, he was figuratively a member of my family. That meant that he also that he had no immunity when it came time for Mama to dish out the whoopings, a fact he was well aware of. I don't want to call her. She'll kill me too. Come on, Wayne. Somebody's got to call her and get her up here. Mama later told me that the phone call went like this. <laughs> 
Mama said, hello? Miss Betty? Yes. This is Wayne. Hi, Wayne. Uh, we're at the hospital. Oh my God, what happened? Where's Brent? He's right here, he's all right. Well, why are you at the hospital? Well, he, uh, uh, Brent kinda got snake bit. Brent kinda got what? He, he snake bit, he's all right. They're giving him some, hello? Hello? Mama was on her way. Wayne stuck his head in the room and told me he thought she was on her way and that she seemed a little bit upset. Wayne disappeared only to resurface about the time Mama would walk in the door. Dr. Chambers told me that it was a possibility that I could lose my thumb. I asked him if I'd still be able to shoot a shotgun. He said, well, yes. And I said, well, cut it off. I don't care. He laughed and said there would be no amputations that day. And he didn't think it would come to that, but it was just a possibility. You're not real smart when you're 19. I would have really missed that thumb during all these years. I remember one of the nurses taking my blood pressure three times in a row. She told the doctor that something was wrong with the blood pressure cuff, and they got another one. She said there's something wrong with this one, too, because my blood pressure was reading normal. Well, Dr. Chambers asked me if I was scared, and I told him, no, sir. And that was the truth. I never got the least bit scared or nervous. I didn't have enough sense to. Dr. Chambers told her that there was nothing wrong with the blood pressure cuff. I was calm, and that was the reason for the normal reading. That was all about to change. In walked Wayne, eating a Snicker bar and drinking a Coke. He was grinning, just checking out everything that was going on. Then Mama rounded the corner of the door like she was running a search warrant on the ER. Wayne more or less stood at attention and said, Hi, Miss Betty. I'll deal with you in a minute, is what she said back. This had not started out well. Mama, I wasn't trying to catch it, I promise. I was leaning down to get a spit cup off the side of the road and the snake bit me right out of here on the thumb. It sounded even dumber the second time I said it. and She just looked at me. I could feel every eyeball in there going back and forth from her to me, like that scene in The Good and the Bad and the Ugly when Clint Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef, and Eli Wallach were giving each other the stink eye, waiting for someone to make the first move, draw their pistols, and commence to shooting. Watch that movie, and you'll get a sense of what the tension was in that room as everyone waited to see what she was going to use to kill me with after she made sure I was going to live. She walked over to the exam table and said, I told you that snuff was going to kill you. I should have just went with the truth. I was going to be wrong either way. Dr. Chambers and the rest got a pretty good laugh out of that. But I wasn't about to laugh. I knew I was in for it eventually. The new would rub off that story. The exposed holes would be exploited by my brothers to my mother, and they would sit back and gleefully watch as she tortured me. It all eventually came to pass, and I was none the worse for wear. I spent three days in the hospital. I never got sick, and I still sport a scar on the favorite thumb of my left hand. There was talk of having to do surgery to keep my skin from tearing because it had gotten so big, but at the last minute, and right before they started getting the operating room ready, the swelling started going down. That snake was one of a jillion that I had caught in my youth, and the last live venomous snake I have ever touched. If I had listened to my mama, I wouldn't have gotten bit that day. If I had listened to my mama, I wouldn't have done a lot of things that I later got in trouble for. 
If I had listened to my mama, I wouldn't be talking to you now. She told me that hunting, fishing, and running my mouth about it wouldn't get me anywhere. Hey, mama, what's the name of your podcast? (laughs) She gonna kill me for that one. And that's just how that happened. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth we've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go but there's one product that stood the test of time seafoam motor treatment lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer it's really simple when you pour it in your gas tank seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems I'm talking stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Sea foam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of sea foam to get their truck or boat going. You do know someone. Me. I've been using it for years. Really. People everywhere rely on sea foam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. September is a busy time in Arkansas and in other parts of the country as well. Leaves are starting to turn loose. Elk are bugling. Bears are fattening up, prepping for the winter. Whitetails have lost the velvet off their antlers. And the creepy crawlies are at the peak of their activity. And of all those majestic creatures and activities I just mentioned, we're going to talk about snakes. First of all, we have six venomous snakes in Arkansas. The eastern copperhead, that that one that we just talked about. Then there's the northern cottonmouth. It's been my experience that these jokers have the worst disposition of any of them. Allow me to elaborate. 
Back in the 80s, it was in April and the opening morning of turkey season, and I was so fired up to go that when I stepped out of my truck to walk down into the bottoms where I was going to listen, I was about two hours early. It was way before daylight, and the only light I had with me was a little pin light that was so dim, you dang near had to strike a match beside it to see if it was on. I stuck it back in my pocket, but I couldn't set it the truck. I had to go. So taking my time, because I had plenty of it, I made my way slowly down through the woods in the dark, navigating by a sliver of moonlight and just using my face as a limb detector. It was a very effective but somewhat painful way to find out where the limbs were. But I'd made that trip a million times before, and, and I knew the way, so I knew that if I could just keep from jobbing both of my eyes out or ripping the ears off the side of my head that when I got close to Steep Bank Creek and heard the water running over the shallow gravel crossing that I'd just wait there until goblin time came. In the dark. Eventually, but not without a few stumbles and abrasions, I heard water running through that shoal where I'd planned to listen from and I stopped in a small opening in the trees. I dug around for that little pin light and when I did, I found an extra battery. I loaded that rascal and fired it up, and it was like I had harnessed the power of the sun after my eyes had gotten so acclimated to darkness and tree bark. I also realized that the creek was louder than I had originally thought it would be, so I was going to have to relocate a, a little ways away from it when goblin time came so I wouldn't miss a faraway gobble because of that racket. I knew that I had over an hour before I needed to move, so... I turned on my light and I looked toward that creek that was 15 yards away. The creek was about 10 feet wide and laying on the opposite bank from where I was looking was a big cottonmouth. He was coiled up and striking into the ripples of the water. It was weird and I ain't never seen that before so I took a couple steps closer and I saw that there was a bunch of little brim going through that shoal and he was trying to catch him one. I bet I watched him strike at four or five fish and didn't catch a one. I grew weary watching him strike out. It was like watching all the outtakes on National Geographic when the Impalas get away from the cheetah. I want to see something get it. Time to change the channel. I turned my light off and went back to standing in the dark, looking at the stars, minding my own business, and waiting on daylight. I never gave him another thought for, I don't know, it must have been 10, 15 minutes. A fella can only do so much in the dark to pass the time, so... I decided to turn my little light back on to see what was happening on the snake channel. I shined my light over there, but Elvis had left the building. The little fish were still shooting through the rapids, but the cottonmouth, he was nowhere to be seen. I was a little disappointed that I hadn't kept watching him because he'd obviously caught one and took off. That had been pretty cool to see. I shined left and right, up and down the bank, looking for him, but I didn't see him. And then... For some unknown reason, I pointed that pin light at my feet, and less than a foot away from me was that cottonmouth, all coiled up with his mouth wide open. He looked like he weighed 92 pounds, and his mouth was big enough to swallow a sitting hen and her nest. I don't know how high I jumped or how high I squealed, but both of them were way up there. And when I came down, I monkey stomped that joker all over that little clearing until he didn't favor a drink of water. I don't know why he came to where I was, but he did. I've had them come to where I was before when I was frog gigging or running a trot line at night with a spotlight. Regardless, they deserve some respect and space, and apparently 
I'd failed at one or both of them. Now, doing some research for this episode, I kept reading where, contrary to what I just said, cottonmouths aren't overly aggressive. Well, okay, Mr. Snake Expert, maybe they're just really curious and like to show off their fangs. Where's Dr. Chris Jenkins when I need him? Speaking of him, he's got a podcast called Snake Talk, and if snakes are your thing, it's very informative, and you should check it out. Now, in all seriousness, that snake was between 2 and 12 feet long. Not really. He was about 2 and a half feet long. I don't think he was attacking me because he had every opportunity to bite me before I ever turned my light on looking for him. And there's no telling how long he'd been there. Either he was just going my way or was defending his fishing hole. Who knows? He only did three things wrong. He scared me dang near to death, violated the perimeter of my personal space, and he didn't wear a helmet, all of which were not my fault. All right, that's two of them. Cottonmouths and copperheads. We still got three kinds of rattlesnakes. That's western diamondbacks, timber rattlesnakes, and pygmy rattlesnakes. That's the little fellow. Not sure if I've ever even seen a diamondback, but I've seen a boxcar load of timber rattlers. They were very prevalent where I grew up, but I've never had a bad experience with rattlesnakes. I'd run up on them in the woods and could count on probably one hand how many times I've ever heard them rattle before I saw them. I don't go around looking for them, but when I'm in places where they like to be, I guess I'm subconsciously more observant. Diamondbacks are over in the western and, and southwestern corner of Arkansas, and that just wasn't in my stomping grounds. Had a fellow in the neighborhood knock on my door one day. It was September in 2019. When I answered the door, I recognized him from seeing him drive by the house, but I'd, I'd never talked to him before or knew which house he lived in. I opened the door, and the first thing out of his mouth was, Do you have a gun? Well, that got my spidey senses tingling, and I took a step closer to him and quickly looked to see if he had one in his hands or on his person. Satisfied he didn't, and that I was now close enough to throat punch him off my porch if I needed to, I said, Do I need one? That's when he told me about the big rattlesnake he'd seen in my driveway. You sure it was a rattlesnake? Oh, yeah, he's a big one. Well, I figured he saw a snake, but I doubted he'd seen a rattlesnake. I'd been here for nine years and ain't never seen one. So I followed him outside to look at the snake and was about to give him a lesson on snake ID. I didn't bother bringing a gun. When we walked to, when we walked to the mailbox, he pointed at the nearly five-foot rattlesnake coiled up behind it. I retreated for the twenty-two. You can check my Instagram and see the picture of him, the snake, not the neighbor. Now, I want to say for the record, I ain't bad about killing snakes. They serve a purpose, and he was just out making a living. Anything whose diet has rats in it is my friend because I give no quarter to rats. Also, for the record, there's no difference in my mind when it comes to rats and mice. Rats are rats and mice are small rats. But he can't make a living in my yard when I got kids and grandkids running around. Life is hard. It's harder if you're a rattlesnake and you trespass at Brent's house. A king snake or any other non-venomous snake would have got a free pass. Anyway, that pygmy rattlesnake is as common as crickets, and lastly, there's the Texas coral snake, of which I have only seen one in my lifetime. 
So by sheer law of averages and in my experience in Arkansas and, and in similar environments, if you come across a venomous snake, you're going to be bumping into copperheads, cottonmouths, and timber rattlers more than any other. Like when I got bit, you seek medical attention at once. But what about your dog? When I'm coon hunting, I'm purposely sending whaling down creek and slough edges where the banditos roam, but also overlaps where the snakes live and operate too. It's bound to happen at some juncture, and when it does, you may not notice the effects immediately. First thing I do when I call whaling in to go home is give him a good inspection before I load him up. When I've got him on the tailgate and removing his tracking collar, I'm inspecting him for any damages he may have incurred while out hunting. When I get him home to unload him and put him up, I do the same thing again on the tailgate. From his grill to his exhaust pipe, I'm looking him over. And first thing the next morning when I go out to feed him, I do the same thing again. If I see some swelling, that's when I start my diagnosis. Me and Rex were hunting Whalen and his dog Shadow one night, and they were blowing a coon track up in a, a big hardwood flat in the Cache River bottoms. Walking to where they were treed, we heard Shadow yip like he had... Something had hurt him, and then he went back to treeing. Rex asked me if I'd heard that, and then when I said yes, he said, I think Shadow just got snake bit. We went on into the tree, and they'd split treed about 30 yards apart, and both of them had a coon. It was August and primo cottonmouth country. We checked him over, and we didn't see any issues, but the next morning Rex called me and said, well, looks like Shadow got bit. His right front foot is about twice the size it should be. He sent me a picture of it, and it looked like he's wearing a boxing glove on it. Long story short, it wasn't a snake bite at all. It was a thorn off a black locust tree that he'd stepped on, and let me tell you, those things hurt. The thorns of the Robinia pseudocacia, commonly called the black locust tree, are toxic and can cause swelling and necrosis, which is tissue death, a sore that won't heal. The vet couldn't find any fang punctures, so he x-rayed his foot to see if he'd broken it and found the thorn, and then he removed it. A few days of antibiotics, and Shadow was ready to hunt again. So if you have a dog that gets bitten by a venomous snake and you're fortunate enough to know what kind it is, that's going to dictate what your next steps are. I called my good friend and serial duck killer, Dr. Jonathan Bradshaw, DVM, the sporting dog veterinarian. If y'all ain't following him on Instagram, you ought to be. He's like a mild-mannered Clark Kent going about his daily life in the city limits of Dogopolis until there's a need for heroics and a quick as a hiccup, he's in a phone booth putting on his cape and flying off to save the day. For real, he's always posting stuff on there about health care for your dogs that you'd normally have to pay for. Anyway, I hemmed him up and posed this question to him. Now, first of all, Here's the disclaimer. Good Lord, the times that we live in. Y'all don't be jamming me or the doc up in the future saying, y'all's advice killed my dog. Well, ain't nobody got time for that. If you're concerned about your dog's health, tote him to the vet. End of disclaimer. Now, here's the question and his answer. Doc, do you have a general rule about treating snake bites in dogs? If it's a big dog and a little snake do nothing or... A little dog and a big snake, do you seek treatment? To me, here's where snake ID comes in. It's very important to know the difference. Both cottonmouth and rattlesnake venoms are hemotoxic and cause circulatory system and muscle tissue damage, including necrosis. 
But the rattlesnake venom is much more potent than the cottonmouth. Enough rambling, Brent. What did the guy who knows say? This is what he said. Unless it's a rattlesnake, I don't really worry about it. Benadryl is nice to give. Steroids are nice to give. But antibiotics sometimes really save the day a few days down the road when infection from the bite sets in or sluggish blood flow settles in. Here's what he said about rattlesnakes. If it's a rattlesnake, antivenom, and extreme supportive care, period. Now, there's going to be somebody send me a message saying, you don't need no vet to treat a snake bite. My dog got bit by a 16-foot rattlesnake, and we didn't do nothing, and he was all right. Well, you also don't need a spoon to eat soup with, but it sure makes it less messy when you use one. Please don't send me that message or a picture of you eating soup without a spoon. Knowing the environment you're hunting in and what venomous snakes most likely inhabit the area will help you determine what level of care you give. Me, I'm going to err on the side of caution every time. You, you do what you want. Snakes are part of the landscape, and the struggle to coexist with humanity started when that joker talked Eve into taking a bite out of that apple. Dang, girl, what was you thinking? Now, that was the first incident when a serpent caused havoc on the planet. But Eve made that choice. The snake didn't make her eat it. Fast forward to when I was 19, and I more or less hemmed a copperhead up so I could stick my thumb in his mouth. He didn't make me do that. It was my choice. And like that old dude said in that cave on Indiana Jones, I chose poorly. A high percentage of snake bites occur when we're messing with them. If you leave them alone, they're more liable to leave you alone. One more story about snakes and dogs. My brother Tim had a black lab that I've talked about on here before. His name was Zach, and he was quite a dog. I loved that rascal. Everyone loved him, and he loved everyone, but he hated snakes. And this was no entry-level hate either. This dude was a tier one snake hater. He hated them so much, especially rattlesnakes, that he would dig them up out of their den, kill them, and bring them to my brother's porch and offer them up as a testimony of his hatred for old Jake No Shoulders. He wasn't alone in this endeavor either. He had an accomplice, a half Boston Terrier and half Blue Healer named Fred. Don't even ask how that cross came about. Zach was laid back in about the coolest dog you have ever seen. His expressions reminded me of Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. That dude was the epitome of chill. Fred was not. Fred was a hot wire, and I'm not sure if Fred was nervous or if he was just really quick. But my brother is a gunsmith, and on top of repairing guns and test firing them, we would shoot skeet and everything else around there. We was always shooting at something. Whenever Zach and Fred were around... Every time someone pulled the trigger and fired a shot, Fred would bite Zach right in the rear end. Only Zach. And nobody knew why. But back to the snakes. Tim told me it was a common occurrence to hear something on the porch and open the door to see Zach and Fred standing there, Zach holding a dead rattlesnake in his mouth, and he and Fred both looking like they'd just survived five rounds with Mike Tyson. Tim said at first that Zach's head would look like a basketball, but eventually, after years of Zach's campaign against snakes, that the swelling wouldn't amount to much at all. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. Now, did he build up a tolerance to the venom? He sure didn't build up a tolerance to their presence. 
Zach lived a long time, but I don't remember what happened to Fred. He probably wound up in a nervous hospital. He was definitely a good prospect for it. Anyway, snakes are your challenge this week. Do some paperwork and learn about the snakes in your area and have a plan on what to do if you or your dog gets bitten. I see people on social media saying that the only good snake is a a dead snake. Well, that ain't true. They serve a purpose and they have a place. It's usually best when that place is over yonder, but they do have a place. Be alert when you head to the mailbox. You never know what might be lurking there. (laughs) This is Brent Reeves signing off. Y'all be careful. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds i like pot calls i just like pot calls i enjoy calling with a pot call whatever direction you go including a box call which i don't personally use too much but they're fun and great and i started out with them yanni on the other hand one of my main turkey hunting buddies he loves box calls and what's funny is i'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey so It's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.